Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I'm Nicole Colantoni, your host of Single at 30, and I didn't either. That's why my guests and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. So, are you in? Hello to all my modern women. It feels so, so good to be back in the studio with the launch of season two. So for those of you who follow me on the gram, I recently asked you to hit me up with what topics you wanted me to discuss in this season and also asked you guys to vote for which topics you liked most. And it just so happens that settling versus compromise was in your top five. Given not only how relatable this topic is to both men and women at any age and stage, but also how it's something I think about literally all the time, I thought it was worth exploring. So before we start, I just wanted to give a particular shout out and thank you to the modern woman who suggested this topic. You know who you are and I hope you enjoy this app. And to all my other listeners, please hit me up with any other topics you'd like explored. I love hearing from you all. So not only do I feel like I'm not entirely qualified to discuss this topic because I have to admit that I'm always the first to dismiss guys, but it's super coincidental that the topic was suggested to me literally straight after I had purchased the book, Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. As someone who has never settled and literally refuses to do so, I knew I had to read it. The book is by psychotherapist and author Laurie Gottlieb, and I highly recommend checking it out. But a word of warning, if you're anything like me, please be prepared to be pissed off, offended, and disheartened. And here's why. Basically, Gottlieb's main argument for settling for Mr. Goodenough versus Prince Charming is best summed up by Rachel Greenwald, a dating coach who is quoted in the book for saying it's faulty logic to think that the longer you play the dating field, the better guy you'll end up with. On the contrary, she says the longer you wait, the less likely you are to find someone better than you've already met. It's no surprise that I have a big problem with this mentality, but before I tell you why, let's take a look at the case Gottlieb makes for settling for Mr. Goodenough before it's too late, rather than holding out for a Prince Charming who might never arrive. So essentially, Gottlieb says we live in a post-feminist world where on the one hand we say we don't believe in fairy tales or in the perfect Prince Charming who will come in and sweep us off our feet, but when it actually comes down to it, Gottlieb claims many of us won't settle for anything less than our version of the perfect fairy tale Prince Charming, and that fundamentally therein lies the problem. Partly, she blames the media, saying we knew that movies were fiction, but on some unconscious level we watched them as if they were documentaries. And to those of you who've listened to season one, you'll know I don't disagree with this. Movies, soap operas, reality TV, and social media have all contributed to selling us the idea of a perfect Prince Charming who will suddenly arrive out of nowhere. Obviously, they'll have little to no flaws, exceed our expectations in every way, and importantly, they'll only have eyes for us. But Gottlieb sees this as totally unrealistic and the downfall of many, many modern women. She thinks we've lost sight of what really matters when it comes to finding the right life partner. And I think some of her reasoning is actually legit. Take, for example, Sex in the City, where each week Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte and Miranda would get together and psychoanalyze their most recent dates. If there was any sign of imperfection in the men involved, the solution was simple. They should dump him and move on to the next. Like, I can definitely relate. I've stopped seeing people or haven't swiped right on them for things as trivial as thinking their first and last name is too basic. 
or the fact that they played golf, or they weren't tall enough, or they were bald, or they were into things like hiking or obsessed with marathons and triathlons, or when I thought they had terrible fashion sense. One particular deal breaker was when I was on a first date and the guy was wearing thongs. I literally still actually maintain that that is totally unacceptable, but I've even avoided a second date because the guy used too many emojis in text or had a high-pitched voice. This is all a major no-no, according to Gottlieb, who notes most Western women, when asked who they would like to marry, say something like a guy who is tall, funny, and successful, instead of someone who is trustworthy, loyal, and warm. This got me thinking about the kinds of traits I use to rule out potential partners versus the kinds of traits I use to select them. According to Gottlieb, I've probably been guilty of focusing my attention on guys with what she would refer to as good boyfriend but not good husband traits. So what's the difference? The way I've come to understand it is that if I meet someone and my vagina is immediately drawn to them, then they're probably not good for me in the long run. In fact, it's probably best I don't indulge them at all. So here's a list of some of the traits that cause fireworks and butterflies and often immediately attract women to men and are what Gottlieb considers good boyfriend but not good husband traits. They include things like they're competent and confident, you know, the kind of guys who can start and run a successful company. They're good-looking, they take the initiative, they're athletic and can physically defend us from the world around us, even though this is an antiquated requirement in 2021. What Gottlieb says about these traits is that they're all objective traits and that objective traits don't matter nearly as much as subjective traits. Subjective traits include things like maturity, kindness, sense of humor, sensitivity, and the ability to commit. What we must absolutely avoid doing, she says, is continue rejecting men for their objective traits and instead start dating them for strong subjective traits. So, for example, when we write checklists for our ideal man, we also need to stop focusing on traits that they possess individually and start focusing on traits they'll possess in a relationship. Like, what good is it if you find a man who is rich, handsome, driven, and charismatic if when he enters a relationship, he becomes abusive or overly possessive? This all comes down to a case of what you want not necessarily being good for you. And like I posted recently on Instagram, in some cases, what we want is just a reflection of what we saw our parents experiencing growing up or a subconscious attempt to replicate the trauma bonds we have with our own parents. For example, if you had an absent father, you might find you attracted to men who are equally absent in your relationships. So Gottlieb goes on to warn us about the dangers of rejecting too many potential Mr. Goodenoughs. FYI, this is actually something she wishes she hadn't done in her own life. Essentially, she thinks that women who hold out for their very own Prince Charming get majorly screwed in the long run. One thing that really fucked me off was the idea and conclusions drawn from the Bachelor auction, a hypothetical auction for men posed by Mark Gimmon to explain the low supply of men as women age and the potential pitfalls for women who consider themselves strong bidders have when they wait too long to settle down. And by strong bidders, he means women who are hot, successful, charismatic, etc., 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 Gimmon argues that those who are most desirable in their 20s think they'll always be majorly desirable and fail to recognize that they are basically depreciating assets. What he means by this is that their supposed value, according to men, is going down as they age. Women who are conventionally less desirable, he says, typically place their bids for men earlier on, getting married and settling down with people the more desirable women are passing on or have already passed on. This means when the more desirable women enter their 30s and beyond, a lot of men they would have ignored are already taken, leaving only those who are actually further from their version of Prince Charming than the ones they already rejected in the first place. So when your girlfriend starts saying, where are all the good men at? 
Gimmin is saying most of them married young and sometimes to women whose most salient characteristic was not their beauty or passion or intellect, but their decisiveness. And then Gottlieb basically runs with this, and I think her book in short says, be decisive, settle, and take Mr. Good Enough to avoid being alone for the rest of your life or settling for a subpar partner, and not to scare you or encourage you to settle or even put Gottlieb down, because I have made respect for her and the work she does, but it's worth noting that she wrote the book in 2010, and as far as I can tell, she still appears to be single in 2021, seemingly offering proof of her very own argument. Gottlieb goes on to say that we need to focus on the men who are open to marriage rather than focusing our attention on the men who dismiss us, hoping to change them or train them to make them Mr. Right. FYI, I know so many women who have this philosophy toward dating, which is just so mind-blowing. But sadly, there are even a bunch of stats in the book to frighten us all off from holding out for Prince Charming. For instance, in America in 2010, there were 28 million single women over 35 versus only 18 million men. Frighteningly, if marriage is what you're after, only half of women over 40 will ever marry. So basically, you better start settling. And if they do marry, they'll be more likely to marry someone who is divorced and already has kids. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, and actually sometimes I think that's better. There are even stats about the chances of actually finding someone who ticks all our boxes. In a discussion in the book, another dating coach called Evan Mark Katz recalls a conversation he had with one of his clients where he talks about doing the percentages. His 35-year-old client had told him she was willing to compromise with what she was looking for, but the more he found out about her requirements for a partner, the more he realized that she was a lot pickier than she made out. For instance, she told him she needed to be with a guy who was over six feet tall, But Evan said only 15% of men are over six feet tall and 80% of women want to be with them. So what this means is if most of the women don't compromise on what they want, essentially there are going to be a lot of single women. Evan then suggests women write down the characteristics they're looking for in a partner and try to calculate the number of men out there who meet those criteria. Funnily enough, my ex-colleagues actually once took it upon themselves to do this for me, probably in response to thinking I was overly picky, and presented me with an Excel sheet showing the number of guys in Sydney who met my criteria. The results? There were a whopping 103 of them. 103 out of a male population in Sydney of over 2 million. To be honest, that was way more than I actually expected. And if you're wondering, the criteria was male, heterosexual, aged between 25 and 34, spiritual, and who had an income of over 150000 per year. I just want to say, by the way, that this is the list they chose for me, not the list I would have necessarily chosen for myself. Still, I was shook nonetheless. Gottlieb also mentions the work of Paul R. Amato in Alone Together, How Marriage in America is Changing. In the book, Amato and his co-writer describe the difference between modern marriages and marriages that took place before the 1970s. In modern marriages, as Gottlieb puts it, we are trying to find the perfect lover, whereas in marriages that took place before the 1970s, Amato says people generally sought a compatible and reliable partner to help you achieve mutual life goals. For instance, they were the people who you could grow with, not just those who gave you butterflies. Some of them were the frog princes described in Gottlieb's book. You know, the guys who you never thought would go anywhere and prove to surprise you in a good way the more you got to know them. Today, though, we want both butterflies at first sight, ruling out the frog princes, as well as growth and to feel perfectly comfortable with our partners, while at the same time maintaining the spark of new terrain. Gottlieb warns us that we're in danger of focusing so much on having it all that we will lose sight of what will simply make us happy. 
And I know that's like extremely ironic because figuring out how to have it all is the whole premise of SAT. But she thinks women are prone to this partly because of the online dating mentality of thinking there will always be more infinite choices when really, she says, once we hit our 30s and beyond, that's simply not true. As women, the idea is we might hold the power in our 20s when we're at the top of the dating totem, but we shouldn't mistake that for holding the power forever. I don't disagree with this entirely. There definitely isn't an infinite number of eligible bachelors out there, and I've even said this to people I know before. For example, I remember when a woman I knew was in a committed relationship with someone she was incredibly compatible with, shared with me how she had started wondering if there was somebody better out there who could give her more than what she already had. And it wasn't until we had a long conversation about how the grass isn't always greener on the other side that she put her curiosity to bed. To this day, they're still together and happier than ever, but that's not to say that she might not have found better, but I question whether her happiness would have improved much, if at all, and whether it would have been worth the risk in the long run. Like, this is backed up by evidence in Gottlieb's book that every happy, successful couple has about 10 areas of incompatibility or disagreement that they will never resolve, and that when we switch partners, people tend to find that although they might be more compatible in some areas with their new partner, they're less compatible in other areas. Basically, they just get dealt 10 new areas of disagreement. Besides the girlfriends I have who wonder about whether there are better options for them on the market, I also have a number of other friends who say they've never been single and fantasize about what single life would be like. But like anything in life, the reality is very, very different to the fantasy. I, for one, can vouch for how soul-destroying the modern swipe-right fast-food dating culture can be, not to mention how often it feels like a full-time job with very little return on investment. So does that mean I think we should all settle for Mr. Goodenough? Absolutely not. I was always told by my parents that I wouldn't need to compromise with the right person, and I always really resonated with the quote, I hope you find somebody who speaks your language so you don't have to spend a lifetime translating your soul. Even the meditation school I attend taught me that when it comes to love, you should search for someone who you're compatible with on an emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual level. But what does compromise even mean, and were my parents telling me the right thing? So in hopes of an answer, I actually called my dad as I was researching this app. And when we spoke, he told me that there is a difference between compromise and acceptance, and if you have realistic expectations about the person you are in a relationship with, you'll never have to compromise. He proceeded to explain that, of course, there will be things about them that annoy you, and likewise, although shockingly, there will be things about you that annoy them, but it's important to focus on the total package. When he told me all this, I was thinking, but isn't having realistic expectations compromise? On reflection, I realized that unrealistic expectations were perhaps the biggest problem with our generation. So it made me wonder... Are we as a generation delusional? Do we, as Gottlieb suggests, just need to get over ourselves and settle? My dad certainly doesn't believe in using the term settle, even though he's willing to admit that realistic expectations are important. He used the analogy that when you're in court and a party settles, it means that neither side has really won. The plaintiff doesn't get what they're seeking, instead settling on something that is good enough, and the defendant doesn't get off scot-free. My dad definitely doesn't think that we should settle for Mr. Goodenough. He doesn't even think we should view it as compromise. Rather, we should set realistic expectations about what traits we want in a partner and stick to them no matter what, and basically thinks that in doing so, then there is simply no need for compromise when we do that. Taking myself as an example, I can say that no matter what, I want to marry a man who has integrity, is loyal, trustworthy, reliable, and consistent. Like, when you think about it, like, properly think about it, is there any point in me marrying a man who isn't these things? Probs not. In fact, it would probably be freaking insane to settle for anything less. 
The key here is that my expectations, unlike when I was in my 20s, aren't built around how ambitious the guys I'm into are, or what their favorite restaurants are, or how tall they are, and how hot I think they are. Obviously, chemistry is important, but I now recognize that chemistry without a deeper connection, combined with shared values and goals, is basically meaningless. And unsurprisingly, Evan, the dating coach from Gottlieb's book, tends to agree. He thinks you need chemistry that's a 6 or a 7 out of a 10, and compatibility that's a 9. So you're probably wondering if this is just a roundabout way of agreeing with Gottlieb. And my answer is both yes and no. While I do think that we shouldn't focus so much on objective traits and that we should focus on things like loyalty, trustworthiness, and a list of other subjective traits, I don't consider doing that or having realistic expectations as settling. I also wouldn't describe someone who I dated that had the subjective traits I'm after, like integrity, loyalty, trustworthiness, reliability, and consistency, as just being Mr. Good Enough. Realistically, if a man has all those things, he would be beyond good enough. And there are men like that out there, and I've even witnessed my friends literally find their happily ever after with them overnight. That being said, if the relationship turned toxic, even in these seemingly happily ever after scenarios, I wouldn't stain it just because a statistic said that my chances of finding better because I'm over a certain age bracket are slim. And I don't think women should be scared into that mentality either. I also don't think that ending up alone is even that big of a deal. Maybe it's because I'm 32 and I'll feel differently when I'm 60, but I've always enjoyed my own company and I can't really see that changing as the years go by, particularly if it meant I had to give up on my own company for somebody who I thought was only just good enough. But I appreciate that not everyone is like me and for some people, a life without marriage or children would be one that they would regret. And for those women out there who feel that way, settling for the lifestyle they want, even if it means they have to compromise on the type of person that they consider to be ideal, might make a lot of sense. In fact, using marriage to achieve a certain lifestyle has historically been a lot more common than using it as a means of spending the rest of your life with a perfect lover. In the past, as I've touched on in season one, marrying for love was a rare occurrence and often maligned. Instead, marriage was seen transactionally and more like a business. And what makes for a good business is not what necessarily makes for a good romantic relationship, as we all know. This is something that people who practice arranged marriage are keenly aware of. In essence, they tend to view marriage as long-term business relationships where lasting compatibility and the ability to achieve your collective goals together trump things like shared interests or deep lust or finding a partner who ticks every little box. It makes me think that perhaps we in the West could learn a thing or two about successful marriages from these kinds of relationships. By no means am I suggesting we all go out and get an arranged marriage, but as Gottlieb notes, most people who are married ultimately lose the butterflies anyway. Like it isn't a coincidence that people get the two to three year itch in a relationship. That's usually when the dopamine high we experience at the start of a new relationship starts to come to a natural end. So given our dopamine-induced butterflies are going to disappear sooner or later anyway, why not just focus on the things that matter from the start? I really think there is a strong case for this and also a case for seeing marriages more as relationships that take time, effort, and commitment to reach their full potential rather than as connections that will be perfect from the start. Perhaps the most important things to look for in a partner is neither of your individual traits but your combined ability to resolve disagreements in an amicable way and your general compatibility in terms of goals, values and expectations. If you have very different expectations of what a good marriage should entail, then you're probably doomed to failure. Like, what use are even the good subjective traits in a partner if they want an open marriage and you don't? Or if they want to raise their children as Catholics and you want to raise them Jewish? I also think that contrary to Gottlieb's arguments, there are a lot of reasons that you might find a better partner in your 30s and beyond rather than your 20s. Like, fuck the bachelor auction and the dismal stats. 
Personally, I think that by not settling earlier, I've given myself time to figure out who I am, what's important to me, and what matters in the long run, and how to recognize somebody who will compliment me as a life partner. Like, honestly, if I had settled for the Mr. Goodenoughs I was dating in my 20s, like I said in season one, I'd either be miserable, in therapy, or divorced by now. But I do think we all need to change the way we view first or second dates as the be-all and end-all and ultimate forecaster of our future with that person. I seriously cannot believe I'm actually saying this right now, but perhaps the guys who play golf or wear thongs on a date deserve a second chance after all. So I guess after all of this, it's worth asking, should we actually settle for Mr. Goodenough? Honestly, my thoughts are if you're eager to have a partner or family and they have a whole bunch of good subjective traits but aren't necessarily everything you want in terms of objective traits, then do it. But don't think of it as settling. Think of it as acceptance. Essentially, they are your Prince Charming or Happily Ever After. If you want to have it all, though, that is, you know, your perfect list of subjective and the objective traits wrapped up in one single partner, then hold out for them, but recognize that statistically they might never show up. Also, I think it's important that we constantly check in and ask ourselves if we ourselves are actually the perfect combination of both those things as well. Like, I 100% know that I am by no means perfect, in fact, far from it. But I honestly think when it comes to true love, lasting relationships are about understanding, and the trick is to find somebody who gets you, flaws and all, and who you can grow with. And maybe instead of searching for perfection all the time, that should be our focus. Thank you so much for listening to this Singlet 30 episode, Prince Charming versus Mr. Goodenough, Should We Settle? If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have a question that you want answered or even an episode idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Singlet 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air The Uncomfortable and The Unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.